1.30 UTC. Hello, I'm Lina Khmudu. Welcome to Health Chat. On the program today, we will have conversations with changemakers who are working to improve healthcare in the country and communities. Later in the program, we'll have a discussion with two scientists who developed a new vaccine against COVID-19. They say will help get more people vaccinated in low- and middle-income countries. The COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated how flaws in healthcare systems can have far-reaching consequences for people's health and beyond. Like many countries around the globe, Liberia has faced many challenges due to the coronavirus pandemic. Observers say since the Ebola outbreak in 2015, Liberia's abilities to detect and respond to infectious diseases have improved. However, the country's health system remains one of the weakest globally. Alexander Cummings is a Liberian political leader and founder of the Cummings Africa Foundation. I spoke with him regarding the work of his foundation in helping to improve the health system in his country. We established uh, the foundation, uh, we established an endowment uh, so that whether my wife and I are alive or not, we got our children engaged and committed to it as well. So we established foundation to institutionalize our giving so it, it survives. Uh, our lives. The foundation works from the position that, uh, among other things, every person in every community, given the right opportunities, can reach uh, their full potential. Now, these opportunities include health. How do you assess the healthcare landscape in Liberia, your country? By every objective measure, our healthcare system is in very, very bad shape. And so the foundation. Uh, actually has two focus areas. One is education, where we focus on STEM education, science, technology, engineering, math, and then we also do healthcare interventions. Uh, more recently, we have done interventions around the pandemic. So we provided, on the one hand, basic food commodities to orphanages, to other institutions during the lockdown. And then more recently, we provided uh, PPE equipment, other medical supplies, uh, to, to help uh, hospitals and clinics around the country. And then we do individual in- interventions where people need to get treated individually. They need to, you know, maybe travel outside the country. Uh, the foundation will, on a case-by-case basis, help in that direction as well. Where do you see the priorities in addressing health care in Liberia in particular, but even in, even in Africa as a whole, because some of the issues are very similar. One area is around focusing on primary health care. What kills most Liberians? Malaria, typhoid, uh, hypertension, uh, childbirth, uh, diarrhea. With focus on primary health care, clinics around the country staffed by midwives and our nurses uh, with drugs and stuff can begin to address many of these basic illnesses that affects 80% of our people. The other area is around health care administration. So the institutions, the governance around healthcare is certainly poor Liberia. Needs to be strengthened, needs to be revisited, because that's how you can sustain you know, changes and improvements you make to the healthcare system. How do we ensure that uh, the people in villages and remote areas are also taken care of? Because they are really forgotten in this equation. This is where I go back to primary healthcare and having clinics well-staffed with drugs around the country, including, in fact, and primarily focused in the rural areas. One of the four or five things that kill most Liberians is, is childbirth. 
our women have to be taken in hammocks on motorbikes for miles or walking to to have the uh, babies. So having clinics, staff with equipment uh, in rural villages where our women can give uh, birth to, to kids is one way you can address the rural challenges. And again, those things having all the drugs necessary uh, is also important. Uh, and so, yes, uh, this is not just about focusing on the urban areas, but focusing on the rural areas as well. To you, what are some of the main takeaways from the, the pandemic with regards to health care? I think in Africa, both of the world, actually, the COVID pandemic made more apparent the weakness in our healthcare systems. We used to say, you know, every crisis is, is an opportunity. And, and, you know, in Liberia, for a while there, we used the Ebola crisis to strengthen contact tracing, you know, getting communities to kind of work together. Uh, that, to some extent, has actually helped us with the COVID pandemic. This COVID crisis, we needed to use as a continent to make sure we're re-strengthening our healthcare systems. And COVID has brought to light the fact that we are self-sufficient. Hopefully, our leaders are actually act uh, on these apparent weaknesses. That was Liberian politician and philanthropist Alexander Cummings, founder of the Cummings Africa Foundation. Nearly 303,000 women die worldwide because of complications of pregnancy and childbirth every year. According to UNICEF's latest data in Uganda, maternal mortality rate is one of the highest. In memory of his mother who died of childbirth complications, James Musinguzi, a trained lab technician, quit his job and moved back to his village in Kitagwenda district, western Uganda, to launch a community health care center to help women like his mother who died of childbirth complications. My colleague Paul Ndio spoke to James Musigunzi, the founder of Gertrude Memorial Community Center in Kigwenda District. James, welcome to Africa 54. Thank you, Mr. Paul. You recently uh, quit your job and decided to venture on a new journey. Uh, you started a new health center to help your people in the communities where you come from. Uh, bring me up to speed. What is it that you've been able to do? I'm always driven by passion. Uh, with my background as a medical personnel and uh, with the background of my own community where I hail from and where I'm born, the western rural district of Uganda, called Kamwenge district, because of the poor health, the rural health care is really so, so much demanding. The increasing mortality rates the fatality rates caused me to have that passion and inspiration to say, let me do something for my community. Let me do something so that our mothers can survive and thrive with their babies. Gertrude Memorial Community Health Center, uh, the name Gertrude was my mother, who actually is one of the people who suffered those consequences of the poor maternity services. What are some of the things that are you offer that facility? Number one is free services for HIV counseling, testing and guidance. Uh, we have free ambulance services for the most, most ill patients from our rural village, the biggest facility. That is very many kilometers away from here. We offer free self-made circumstances services and then we offer affordable and available services and mental care that I'm telling you. 
we do the deliveries of mothers, we do uh, family planning. I, I can hear some babies crying in the background. Do you just uh, have like a kid delivered or something like that? No, those are just, they are just in the ward, in the pediatric ward just behind me. Where is like the nearest uh, maybe uh, government center or hospital where people can go other than your facility? So someone has to travel for about like, I think about 15 to 30 kilometers to access a health center for level for hospital in the Ugandan setting. The health center for has a medical officer as the main, main manager. James, uh, when you talk to some of the patients, uh, people who have come to uh, your center, what are yeah. their stories? What are their challenges? The biggest story that I can report to you on a positive note is that uh, the people have found it as the most accessible, valuable, affordable, and yet compassionate. Keep coming in very, very hard conditions, very, very ill, and within 24 to 48 hours, we discharge of a person. They go back there in the, in the village and they're like, you know what, guys? Gatwick Memorial is the real deal. And on a negative side is that on the part of the facility, because of the reason that the services are very, very subsidized, very, very low. We are battling a challenge of like, we bring in drugs and other supplies and they immediately get consumed and yet the return is very, very low. Ultimately, what would you want to get out of uh, something like this? Uh, you're talking about uh, some of these challenges uh, that you're facing uh, you are a new startup. Uh, how can uh, people help you achieve that dream? All the Voice of America followers and the fans and those ones who have passion for health care, basically rural health care, maternal child health, palliative care, nutrition is number one. If there is someone out there who is willing to come and be part of us in volunteering with us, that would make a big deal because it would mean human resource-wise, it would be sorted. That is one. Two, we would need someone who would be there and is like, you know what, James? What are you lacking in your maternity wing? What are you lacking in basically as an equipment so that we give you something as an equipment, right? Someone could still come in and say, you know what, James? Let me take over your maternity because the biggest challenge in this community is to something to do with maternity. Well, uh, good luck with everything and thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Mr. Paul. That was VOA's Paul Indio speaking to James Musinguzi in Western Uganda. You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It is time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Health Chat. The U.S. National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine developed a new vaccine against COVID-19 called Corbevax. Corbevax is a low-cost, patent-free vaccine developed by Dr. Peter Hothes, co-director of the Center for Vaccine Development at Texas Children's Hospital, along with his colleague, Professor Maria Elena Botasi. I spoke to Dr. Hothes and Professor Botasi about the new vaccine. Dr. Peter Hothes, Dr. Maria Elena Botasi, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you for having us. I would like your reaction on what is going on now with the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic has been ongoing for two years now. Given all that we know and we still don't know, what is your biggest concern right now? Let me start with you, Dr. Butazi. Well, thank you so much. I think my biggest concern is seeing how there are so many regions around the world that still lack uh, access to vaccines. Uh, and I think that's what's really uh, enabling this virus to continue mutating. So we really need to bridge that gap. And we hope that with our partners in India, Biological E, we can contribute to really filling that uh, vaccine gap. Dr. Peter Otez, what is your biggest concern right now? Well, my big concern is by failing to vaccinate the world's low and middle income countries, we're enabling the emergence of new variants. We've seen Delta emerge out of an unvaccinated India population last year and then Omicron out of an unvaccinated population in Southern Africa. So we know what's going to happen if we fail to vaccinate the world's low and middle income countries. So even after this current Omicron wave, everyone is thinking we're out of it. We're not. We are going to see another major variant of concern in a few months. And it doesn't have to be that way if we can make that commitment to vaccinate the whole planet. Now, let's talk about the vaccine, and uh, both of you mentioned it. There are several vaccines available right now, including the new mRNA vaccines uh, that were developed by Pfizer and Moderna. But not all of them are available in developing countries and even in the United States. And your team, both of you uh, worked on a new vaccine. But before we talk about it, what what is more important right now to vaccinate the world? More vaccine doses or more choices of vaccine? Dr. Otis. Well, I think it's it's good to have a choice of vaccines, but the key is making certain that you have vaccines that are effective against the variants of concern. And not all vaccines are equally effective. For instance, there's a lot of whole inactivated virus vaccine from China, which is not holding up that well against um, the Omicron variant. And same with, um, you know, potentially the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine uh, as well. And so, you know, maybe for future variants, but right now, you know, there are limits to what, what's available. The, you know, the J&J vaccine, the mRNA vaccine seem to be holding up. We think uh, our vaccine uh, could hold up, but that's the part of the problem. There are limits to the choices. So even, so the problem is even the global estimates, you know, for the African continent, Southeast Asia, Latin America, in terms of percent population vaccinated, that too is misleading because many populations are being vaccinated with vaccines that are not very effective at all against Omicron. And so even as bad as the numbers are, the actual numbers are probably far worse. So at this point, is the concern the variants that are emerging or the, the virus as a whole? because it seems like more and more variants will come out. We just saw the IHU in, in Marseille, France, that was just discovered. What are we looking at at this point? Well, I think what we're looking at is um, we should expect another very concerning variant that's going to emerge probably later in the spring because this has been the consistent pattern. It's been repeated waves following the original lineage. We had Alpha, then Delta, now Omicron, and we know it, it's something else is going to follow it. The immunity from infection with Omicron is not very durable, most likely. So again, 
This all gets back to our failure to vaccinate the world, our failure to especially to vaccinate the Southern Hemisphere and the world's low and middle income countries. Until we do that, we are always going to be facing a, a pretty horrific pan- pandemic. Dr. Butazi, in partnership with Dr. Hotez, your team developed a vaccine called Corbevax. Tell us more about the science behind it. Uh, does Corbevax prevent the transmission of COVID-19 and how effective is it against very well, let me tell you a little bit of uh, uh, what we have been doing for the last 20 months. As indeed, you know, this comes from even a prior decade of work by our vaccine center and our scientists, uh, uh, because we already had a coronavirus program developing SARS and then later MERS vaccines. So the, in partnership with Biological E, and Corbevax is really the vaccine that was co-developed by Biological E in India, we managed to transfer the technology of how to make a recombinant protein. In this case, is a receptor binding domain that uh, really targets, of course, the original virus. But now, of course, we know that it also can confer really great protection against uh, the variant of concerns, uh, especially beta and delta and we're in studies right now to evaluate Omicron. So we take this uh, engineering of uh, recombinant proteins, we we produce the the constructs, we call them seeds, and then we transfer these to the manufacturers like BioE. Um, then we provide them, you know, the, the procedures of how we can produce them in the lab. And then they, of course, scale them to industrial scales. I mean, Biological E can make 100 million doses of this vaccine, right, from the recipe that we originally gave them. We also gave them um, a whole toolbox of assays to be able to ma- uh, uh, evaluate its, its purity and its stability. Um, so we really um, intellectually and scientifically co-developed this with them. As, and as with Biological E, we're doing it with many other manufacturers such that they can then, like Peter mentioned, really increase the availability um, and they can do their development plans. They can evaluate them in their clinical designs. And, you know, we're very privileged to now hear that um, after, you know, major studies, clinical studies in India, we can uh, now see that this is a very efficacious and safe um, and highly producible vaccine. So what is the efficacy rate for adult and was it also tested among children? So the good news is that the one of the large phase three trials that Biological E did in India was a, a what we call a superiority or a head-to-head comparison with Covishield, with, uh, which is the AstraZeneca vaccine produced by Serum Institute of India. And it was clearly shown superior with regards to immunological um, capacity of, you know, neutralizing, you know, the uh, certainly the viruses, you know, whether it's the Wuhan original virus, you know, to neutralize the Delta virus, to neutralize the beta virus. We're, of course, as I mentioned, uh, evaluating right now against Omicron. Um, and at the same time, you know, not only they did the studies in uh, the adult populations, which is what they got authorization for, but they're now completing the pediatric studies, which is going to hopefully extend that authorization to be approved also for kids uh, five years of age and and, and older. And and at the same time, there is another study ongoing right now, which is to evaluate this uh, concept of boosting and uh, mix matching, right? So if you already received another vaccine, can you receive Corbivax? um, And can you get, of course, um, a, a better 
stronger and more durable response, especially against you know, these variants of concern. A lot of people are uh, asking questions about boosters and they are concerned, right? Rightfully so, you might say, uh, because they just don't understand how many boosters are needed. Is there a visibility with your vaccine? So it's a hard question, right? Because we're trying to get ahead of the virus, but at the same time, you know, we don't have coverage with sufficient vaccines. And like Peter explained, is not necessarily even the types of vaccines, is the quantity and, the, in, and where are they. So I think that we'll probably have to do all of it at the same time, right? So we have to try to vaccinate as many people as possible with whatever vaccines are available, of course, and then come in with, again, these boosting strategies, especially when we know that some of these vaccines are not performing as much as we wish they would against this, especially the Omicron uh, variant. Um, and at the same time, increase the production of these vaccines so that we can have a continuous inventory. Um, and I think that's uh, how we're going to be able to really reduce this virus um, in the future. Dr. Ortez, why is this vaccine suitable for low and middle income countries and are there prospects in uh, FDA approval for use in the United States? Well, the, the real advantage is, number one, it's um, there's no limit to the amount you could scale. You can make billions of doses. It uses an older technology similar to that used to make the recombinant hepatitis B vaccine. And, and that's significant because that vaccine is made locally in multiple countries in the global south, in India and Indonesia and Bangladesh and Vietnam and Brazil uh, and elsewhere. So that if you need to produce a vaccine locally, this is the technology to do it. And that's what we've done. We've transferred the technology with no patents, no strings attached. And we help in the co-development to at least four countries so far with more to follow, India, Indonesia, Bangladesh, and now Botswana. Um, so, so this potentially could be actually made in sub-Saharan Africa, which we're quite excited about. BioE is the first, the furthest along, the one in India. They've made now 150 million doses. That's ready to roll out. And they have the capacity for a billion doses. And and that's just the beginning. And and the, the it's a it's a high bar because we've got to provide nine billion doses for low and middle income countries, twenty billion globally. I doubt we're going to do that with mRNA vaccines and the other technologies. So this'll this will come in in order to get people vaccinated by 2022. And if we really work hard and get people vaccinated now, potentially we can forestall the new variant for the summer. So we've seen in the past that uh, at some point, uh, vaccine was not approved by the EU in terms of traveling. So what are the prospects of this vaccine being approved by the EU and the United States for travelers? Well, I can also uh, uh, let you all know that indeed Biological E, who is a vaccine manufacturer that has uh, uh, years of experience working with the World Health Organization and many of their vaccines are pre-qualified, are already working with the agencies to um, seek that emergency listing for the global use. Um, so I think that um, we are very optimistic that indeed uh, we will see those approvals. And then, you know, Biological E, as well as probably many others that have experience uh, with the quality that is needed for um, a global approval, we, we, you know, we can, we can also 
increase the, the level of distribution around the world? There have been a, a, a very big challenge around vaccine hesitancy in low and middle income countries. And the African region has been definitely uh, one place where a lot of people have been hesitant. What do you think will make Corbevax different where people will, will be more accepting? Well, you know, we're getting a lot of emails. It's quite interesting of so many people in the U.S., but also globally saying we're holding back to accept mRNA vaccines or other technologies, but would use ours because it's a, they've already given it to the, either they've already taken a vaccine like it through the hepatitis B vaccine, similar to yeast fermentation technology, either for themselves or their kids. So I think this not only is this critical for equity, it potentially could address global vaccine hesitancy as well. And unfortunately, the anti-vaccine movement goes beyond U.S. borders. Now we're, we're hearing about this on the African continent, uh, in Asia and elsewhere. And so I think this could make a big impact on a number of fronts. So easy to scale, one of the lowest cost vaccines, one of the best safety profiles, a tried and true technology. People are willing to accept it. So when you go down the, the checklist, our vaccine checks a lot of boxes. So it's very gratifying to make that contribution. And as you said, people sent you emails uh, saying that uh, they, are, they are looking forward to this vaccine because it may be different. Some people are skeptical or don't understand the mRNA, have all these beliefs. So uh, again, in the United States, are there some prospects in terms of this vaccine being available here? I'll just say, you know, we, we right now, we do not have a path for getting this vaccine in, into the U.S., um, we don't. We do not have a U.S. manufacturing partner nor support from the federal government. I think it could. There could be use for this vaccine in the U.S., but right now our emphasis is on helping people who live in low and middle income countries, helping the world's poor get the vaccines that they deserve. And uh, and I think we're going to we're we're going to make some progress. So it's very gratifying that we've made this big start in India. So, Dr. Bhattasi, what are the main takeaways then when we talk about Corbevax as a, a new vaccine coming in the in the pool of uh, vaccine against COVID-19? What what are the main takeaways? Well, first of all, is uh, you know uh, the takeaway of uh, having very trustworthy partnerships. I think that it was key, right? So, our vaccine center has been working for years with the developing country vaccine manufacturer uh, network, right, which is, you know, of course, working directly with locations in the low-middle-income countries to enable them, you know, self-sufficiency and self-reliance. I think the fact that we already had um, the 10-year uh, prior experience working with coronavirus vaccines that really enabled that this technology could be very rapidly um, readapted for, of course, the COVID-19 uh, sequence. Um, and then, like Peter mentioned, this is a vaccine that does check all the boxes, right? It's uh, The procedures are very well known. The regular regulators know about them. The manufacturers know about them. The, the supply requirements are very well established. Um, so they're accessible and they're affordable. Uh, we already had a toolbox of assays that you could then evaluate the quality and the purity and stability of these vaccines. But then I think most important, the best takeaway is that, as you mentioned, this could be a game changer also in acceptance because it's 
uh, already comes with years of experience in, in how, the, how um, they behave with regards to safety uh, once it's, of course, used in the populations, including uh, safety in uh, very young populations. And speaking of safety, before we wrap, what are some of the side effects that were observed? Because people are always concerned about that. And in terms of doses, uh, how do the doses differ from adults to children? Well, right now, the doses that are approved is, of course, is a two-dose vaccine, same as many other, you know, vaccines with, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a separation between one and the second with 28 days. Uh, we also are, of course, evaluating now as a booster. With regards to its reactogenicity, biological, he mentioned, again, in comparison to uh, COVID shield, uh, it showed that it, it had 50 percent uh, less uh, reactogenic, uh, um, uh, I guess, uh, results from the trials. Uh, very traditional, you know, uh, symptoms. You know, of course, you can get some uh, small fever. Maybe you can get, you know, some headache, but clearly not as um, severe uh, um, uh, adverse effects or uh, any reactogenicity as we may have been seeing with the other vaccines. So that's a very good um, indication that recombinant protein subunit vaccines, you know, keep the same very similar safety uh, record as uh, as many of the other vaccines that are already licensed and used around the world. Dr. F uh, Peter Ortez, would you like to add a, a final word before we wrap? As I'd like to say, when your house is on fire, you, you don't call lawyers, you call the fire department. And so uh, the whole point of doing this without patents, without strings attached is just that. It's, you know, at some point, someone has to step up and say, what are we going to do to really help the world's low and middle income countries? And to tie it down with bickering and fighting over legalities and patents and intellectual property, this is not the way. At some point, we have to show a humanitarian concern for all the world's people. And at the same time, it's even in our own enlightened self-interest to prevent these new variants. So hopefully this will be an important first step. Dr. Peter Utez, Dr. Maria Elena Bukazi, thank you so much to both of you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was Dr. Peter Utez along with Professor Maria Elena Bukazi, both with the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine. That's all for this edition of Health Chat. For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit voanews.com. Thank you all for joining us and special thanks to all our affiliate stations throughout Africa for carrying Health Chat. I'm your host, Lina Khmudu in Washington with producer Dan Brown. Until next time, take care, stay safe and strive to make every day a healthy day.